Thanksgiving, church. Happy Thanksgiving. It was a few days early, but I hope you came hungry, both for spiritual things and for physical things, uh, because we have our lunch after, uh, after we're done here. Uh, we're all going to head back to the fellowship hall, and there's going to be a lot of food for us to eat. So I'm hoping you can all join us there afterwards. Uh, it kind of is a, a kickoff to the holiday season, um, and we have a, a lot of things going on in the holiday season, and Christy Huff, who uh, is heading up Faith Women right now, uh, and, and the team there, she's going to come up and she's going to tell us about the Faith Women holiday event that's coming up. So Christy, why don't you uh, come on up and let the women know how they can, how they can join in. All right. Good morning, ladies of faith. Um, I just want to um, invite you to our ladies' Christmas gathering. Um, it'll be on Monday, December the 4th at 7 o'clock. There is um, there's a little bleb, blurb and a QR code in the bulletin here for you. Um, so we want you to bring a friend and join us as we celebrate our Savior, the newborn King. Doors will open at 645. Um, we want you to prepare your heart for an evening of intimate worship and fellowship. So please bring an hors d'oeuvre or a finger food to share. And so this is for ladies 13 and up. Uh, we are not providing child care for this event. Um, we just want you to come and join us to um, adore our Savior on Monday, the, December the 4th. It will be in the worship center. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Christy. Uh, so ladies, sign up for that. Register. Um, if you know you're going to go, like if you're like, if you know December 4th is open, 7 p.m. is open, then do it right now. Register right now instead of calling uh, the church on Thursday before it happens and being like, hey, can we still come? Uh, because one of these times we're going to say no, and you're going to feel really bad, and we're not going to feel bad. Um, Tomorrow, uh, the men and the youth are going to Operation Christmas Child uh, to the warehouse in Charlotte. Um, uh, if you want information on that, the QR codes are, again, in your bulletin. Uh, you can just uh, use those to see what time they're meeting and leaving and all of that information that you need. Um, in the light, in light of, uh, hey, don't wait till the last minute to sign up, we are accepting applications for our School of Kingdom Ministry, which starts on January 7th, and you want to sign up for that as soon as you know that you're wanting to do it. Um, uh, uh, you go to uh, schoolofkingdomministry.org, go to join a, uh, join a location, go to locations, you see the map of the United States, you can click on Statesville and start applying there. Um, if you need more information on that, uh, let me know. We have a YouTube link that tells you, gives you all the information that you're going to need. Um, so that's all we're going to have in way of announcements this morning. But why don't you stand up with me? We're going we're gonna to take some time and we're going to sing together. Um, music has the ability to transport you. And here's what I mean by that. I was at a concert on Friday night of a band, uh, Need to Breathe, that I've been listening to for, I think Lauren and I tried to count, 17 years. So they were singing. They're like, these are the old songs. And we're like, I know all the old songs. I used to sing them to my kids. And, um, and they played a song 
and I was, uh, 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 you know, it's a concert and it's loud, so you can like sing along. And, and I was transported, it was like I was transported back in time. I was in this little condo that we had in San Luis Obispo, whose living room uh, probably could fit on this stage. And the TV had the songs playing and the kids were running around and one of them's crying and one of them's having fun and, and we're, I'm just listening to this music. And I'm moved as I hear it in my mind, in my spirit. And so when we sing this morning, we're, we're singing and we're here physically in our building but in, in some ways, we are joining with heavenly choruses. We are transported in heavenly places in Christ Jesus as we sing. Right? There is there's power. The, the, there's a prophet uh, in, in 2 Kings who, who has to give a prophetic word. And he says, okay, let the music start playing. And then the, the word of God will come to me. I'll be able to hear the voice of God when the music's playing. So as we sing, think about that. Think about the fact that, yes, we are here, but uh, in some ways we are, in our minds, in our spirits, we are transported to someplace else where we are singing with the church all across the world. Church is singing in Swahili and Spanish and Cantonese, and we are singing with them as we proclaim how great Jesus is. So if you don't know the, the song that we're singing, look up on the screen and sing. If you don't like the song that we're singing, look up on the screen and sing. Lift your voices up. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your nearness and your presence. God, bring us into a place of wonder as we sing. God, be with us. Come, Holy Spirit, rest in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Woo, I'll tell you what I'm thankful for. I am thankful for a husband who is a technological, oh, I don't know what he is. <laughs> I walked up here and I'm like, my whole computer was black. And all of a sudden I was like, God, I'm, I'm just thankful. I'm so thankful for all of your provision. That's basically what it is, is that was God's provision in the moment for me. So just begin to lift your voice right now. And let's just thank the Lord. Thank Him for His greatness. Thank Him for His kindness. Thank Him that He is pursuing us this morning as we worship Him. Let's do this, church. Hallelujah. Woo! You'll know this first one. Maybe you won't even have to look on the screen to sing. Let's do it.
Thanksgiving. We had so much fun with I Thank God last week. So if you didn't know it this week, you should be ready. Let's do it.
And, and that word is running. That song talks about us running to God. And God, we are pursuing you to the best of our ability. But this morning in our pre-service prayer, Pat talked about how God is actually pursuing and running after us. His mercy and his goodness and his grace is, is pursuing us. And so I think in our pursuit of him and his pursuit of us, there's just going to be a great collision this morning. Let's just fall into his grace.
sacrifice of our praise and have it resound in the heavenlies. You can have it change our souls. You can have it speak to you in ways that that go beyond our understanding. Father, in that same way, take, take what little I have to offer through the word and make it yours for your people. Speak, Father. Let it be, let it be effective for your use. Let it be effective in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay standing for me, stay standing. Every week here at Faith Church, we do 50 weeks in the Word. We do one chapter that we read every day of the week. There's one verse that we memorize, and there's one Bible study on Wednesday, 
And then we come on Sunday and we see, okay, who's memorized it, that signed up to memorize it. If you didn't sign up to memorize it, don't worry about it. Don't feel like you're missing out on uh, or that we're going to judge you uh, because you're not saying it with us. This morning, uh, our verse is John 15, 7. So look at it, refresh your memory, and we're going to say it together. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask of me whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 15, 7. Amen. You may have a seat. We are continuing in our message series entitled Wait and See, Lessons in Habakkuk. And we're going to be um, in Habakkuk chapter 2 if you want to turn there. Uh, If you don't know where Habakkuk is, look in your table of contents of your Bible or just go to your Bible, open in the middle, and go left until you find the three pages that Habakkuk is on. Um, If you have the same Bible as me, turn to page 786. If you don't, I don't know how to help you. Um, So this morning, I'm just going to kind of jump right in, and we're going to talk about the righteous woes of Habakkuk. God is um, using and he is pulling in now the judgment of Babylon that will happen. So here's what Habakkuk sees kind of as a recap. Habakkuk sees iniquity, destruction and violence, strife and contention. He sees justice being perverted and wickedness swallowing up the righteousness. Basically, Habakkuk is crying out to God and he's saying, why are all these bad things happening to good people and why are all these good things happening to bad people? And he is rightly angry at the state of what, of what, he, of what he sees. He, he looks at it and he says, there's something off here, God, and, and, and I need you to tell me what you're going to do about it. Very bold in his statements. And so God answers and he says, yeah, uh, I see the sins of my people Judah and judgment is going to come for their disobedience. But God's going to use an evil nation to bring that justice. They're worse than Judah. They do all of these things, and they don't care that they're bound up in iniquity and bloodshed bloodshed and violence. And Habakkuk doesn't understand this, but he questions God, and ultimately, he says, okay, I I don't understand it. I don't get how how you're going to use them. You can't even look on sin. Your eyes are so pure. You're you're holy, and you're doing this? But then he says, I'll step back, but I'll wait and see. I'll step back, and I'll wait, and I'll see. And then last week, judgment is still coming, but Habakkuk says the words, but the righteous live by faith. And why do the righteous need to live by faith? Because of everything that Habakkuk's going to say in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 through 20. Because now he's going to, uh, uh, God is telling Habakkuk now, here's what's, here's what I really think about these people. And so I'm going to read 6 through 20. It's a, it's, a, it's a chunk of verses, so stay with me. Shall not all of these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges? 
Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered nations and the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and, vi- for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and to all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You have derived shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam will respond and the beam from the woodwork will respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not far from the Lord of hosts that the people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And woe to him who makes his neighbors drink and pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. For you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth and to the cities who dwell in them. And what profit is an idol when its maker has has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker uses trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it. it, There's no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silence before him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So now... uh, God has come to pronounce woes on the people of Judah, of the rebellious people of God. He's now pronouncing woes. And we don't really use this all that much anymore. We don't cast woes on people. Um, But in the ancient Near East, in the context in which this is written, proclaiming a woe like this is maybe something that we would call like speaking death over somebody. It's not just this light thing like, oh, you guys have been bad and all this bad stuff's going to happen. No, God is saying over them, no, woe to you. There is no, recom- there's, there is no uh, uh, place where you are safe. You are going to get the recompense of the wicked. You cannot hide from this. You will surely die. That, that's, what, that's what happens when you're casting woes. And so that puts into context a little bit more when Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 says all the woes to the Pharisees. Woe to you. You you whitewashed tombs. You unmarked graves. You people of iniquity. Right? All these things that he says. He's not merely saying, Pharisees, you're bad. He's saying, no, you will receive these things back to you for what you've done. And eventually, they do. And so we're going to go through the five woes here. And I want to say something as we get into uh, woe number one. I, uh, you, you good there, Richard? It's okay. <laughs> His Bible is reading to him right now. I want to say this uh, because I'm going to talk about some 
uh, financial things and some different things. Look, I'm not against capitalism, okay? I'm not a socialist. I'm not a Marxist. Uh, a few months ago, I said just something about justice to the poor, and I got texts claiming that I was a Marxist and all of this stuff, and I'm like, what? So I want to say that because I, I am going to rightfully critique when these things overstep their bounds, when we take something good and turn it into something evil. Because the first woe that is spoken against the people of Babylon is that they take financial advantage of the poor. Because here's what they would do. They would, they would, give, they would conquer a people, put them into poverty, and then they would give them loans at really high interest rates. Right? And so they would impoverish the people, and then they'd say, okay, uh, these people would have no food, They'd be on their deathbeds, their people are dying, and they're coming up to these rich people, and they're saying, can you just lend us some money? Can, and they'll say, yeah, we'll give it to you at 30% interest. I don't know the exact amount, but we'll give it to you at 30% interest. We'll give it to you at 50% interest. And if you're dying, you don't care about the interest that you're going to pay two years down the road if you're going to be dead. And so they'll say yes to anything. Yes, we'll take your money. Yes, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pay the interest. We'll do all of that. And then what happens is then they would tell these people, I don't think that you're going to be able to pay this. So you have to give us the most valuable possessions that you own. As a, as a pledge, uh, in Habakkuk it calls them that they take pledges. So they take pledges back. They know they can't pay, so they get all of this stuff. It's the rich just stealing from the poor over and over again. This is why, look, I'm an NBA fan, and I'm from California, so I like the Warriors. And uh, you know who I don't, you know who I won't root for now? I won't root for the Cavs, the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? Won't root for them, and I won't root for the Phoenix Suns. You know why? Because if you look up their owners, this is how their owners got wealthy. They, they run all the quick and loan places, the places that give loans to people that they know that they can't pay back and charge big interest on them. So uh, the, their owners got rich that way. So I'm not, I'm not praying that anybody gets injured like when I'm watching those teams, but I'm like, man, maybe if they just got knocked in the head once, like, that'd be okay. So... So you can't root for the Suns or the Cavs anymore. And if you come in wearing a jersey, I'll just stop you at the door. Um, no. See, but, but now God's flipping it on them. He says, look, you've plundered nations, but now nations are going to plunder you. It's like the nations were on loan from them, and God's now going to be the lender that's going to punish Babylon. He's going to reverse everything. That's what's happening in these woes is that God, they have done things. They have uh, uh, walked in sin and iniquity. And now God's saying, now it's going to be reversed on you. So the first woe is taking advantage of the poor. And the second woe is talking about money that's been gained in an evil way and is used to ensure their safety. I was, I, I remembered a, a case that had happened where I used to live, and then I looked it up online, and 
So if something happens to me and you go through my internet history and it says robbing a bank with an old man mask, I wasn't looking for hints and tips to do that. I was looking up these stories, okay? Now these brash of bank robberies are going to break out in old man masks in Statesville and you're going to be like, huh, so he looks like Pastor Charles, right? But these men, they would, they would get these like old men masks and they would go and rob banks. And it got to the point where some of them were getting these like Hollywood level prosthetics on their face. So like some old men masks you could see and you understand like, oh, that's just a guy wearing an old man mask. But some of these Hollywood ones, like if you watch Benjamin Button or these movies where these young actors are playing old actors, it looks very real. And they would go in and they would rob banks. And I, I was like, I, I, I had heard of one or, uh, one uh, case like this, and then I looked it up, and it was like, oh, there's a case in Orlando of a man in an old man mask, in San Antonio, and in California, and Phoenix, and all these places. So it's like this thing. And we would all agree, I think, I think everyone would agree that robbing banks, whether you're wearing an old man mask or not, is wrong. Thank you. We would all agree with that. We'd all agree. Like, uh, I've, I've, I've heard a lot of people that, that, can, that I lead them through repentance and they confess sin that they've been in. Nobody's robbed a bank yet, right? That might come, but... So here's the deal. We'd all look at this first half of my statement and say that, yes, money gained in an evil way. So even if it's robbing banks or if it's charging interest on these loans or whether it's lying and cheating on your taxes, all these different ways, it's cutting corners, these evil ways that we gain money, we would all say that is wrong. But the second part of the woe here is that they then viewed their money as their security and their safety. And how many of us are guilty of that? Where money becomes our security and our safety. Because the reality is, is that you will never find lasting security or safety in money. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So you can get your money in these unjust, in these evil, in these greedy ways. But here Solomon is saying that as you collect it, it's taking away your life. Jesus says it. He says, hey, you can't serve two masters. And he's talking to his people. and He's saying, you're going to have a penchant. You're going to have the, the, the bent to serve money. Don't, because when you serve money, you're serving mammon. You're serving a false god when you find your safety and your security in money. And then if you read here in Habakkuk, it says that they build up these uh, houses and they set them up on high so they're on the hills and they think that they're safe up there and they're away from the, the poor and huddled masses. And, and then it says that the stones of their house cry out, that the beams of their roofs cry out, their possessions cry out against the owners. And look, this is not, this is not a, a diatribe against owning nice things. 
But when those things become the security, when those things become the safety, when those things become your aim, then as you get them, every time you walk by them, it's like they're crying out to you saying, woe to you who think who set their nests on high. Their possessions cry out to them. And woe number three goes along the same things because it says that the cities of Babylon are established in blood and iniquity. That they've created their whole, uh, their whole nation and they've planted it in blood. Iniquity is what drives it. And iniquity is uh, a sin that becomes more than just an accident. When it becomes more than just an accident, it becomes a transgression. And then it becomes more than a transgression. It becomes iniquity when you fully give yourself over to it. You don't try to hide it and you don't try to, uh, you don't try to hold back from it. And so this is what the cities of Babylon are established. And look, Babylon was immense. It was huge. It covered so much land, so much area. There was so much war taken to, to get Babylon. And then Jesus comes and he just, he turns everything around. Because if you read in the Old Testament, this is a violent, warring society. There's bad, I mean, you, you, I was reading through, I was reading through First uh, Samuel and Second Samuel and First uh, Kings and Second Kings this week, and every page, and these people went up to fight up these people, and eight thousand people died, and then these people went up to fight up with these people, and twelve thousand people died, and then all these kings got together to attack these kings. Right? There's blood and violence everywhere. See, evil empires build nations on the blood of others, but Jesus sets up his holy city with his own blood. If I wanted to build an ancient city here, I would use the blood of the people. And then Jesus says, I'm setting up the new Jerusalem. I'm setting up the new holy city, and it's going to be built on my blood. I don't need the blood of anyone else. The blood of bulls and goats can never bring the remission of sins. But the blood of Jesus has now built this, this kingdom and this kingdom that is building. We'll get to that at the end. But this is what Jesus does. And so where uh, Babylon city is established on the blood of others, the, the blood of Jesus establishes his holy city. And instead of iniquity driving the cities, Jesus' blood actually takes away our iniquities. It takes away those things that we can't let go of, those things that we have a hold on us. And the blood of Jesus comes that when we follow him and repent and turn to him, he takes it all away, the effects of it all away. We still have work to do to, to overcome the strongholds of that iniquity, those places where it's become addictions. We still have work to do there. But now he looks at us and he sees that our iniquity is gone because of his blood. This is the beauty of the gospel that at the cross, Jesus takes it all. And look, in the, in the Old Testament, I've talked about this before, but there's these levels of sin where it's, there's sin and then transgression and iniquity is like the, the worst of the worst. And Jesus comes and with his death, 
like the snap of a finger, now has the ability to take away the worst of the worst that you hold on to. He has the ability to take away the worst of the worst that plagues you. And he takes it. It says, it's like uh, the, the Bible paints the picture that he takes it onto himself, onto his body, into him. And he takes it away from us. And then he, he goes into the fourth woe. Because this woe, it, it's, it's the act of getting someone drunk in order to take advantage of them physically. It says, woe to you who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. And the phrase gaze at their nakedness is not just an act of looking. There's a physical component to it uh, if you understand what I'm getting at. And so th this woe is reserved for them. And it says that God will bring wrath and violence against those who act in this way. And I say, amen. Look, uh, if you're here and that's happened to you and you haven't worked through the healing process, if you haven't worked through the inner healing that comes, that needs to come with that, this is what we do here. Um, you can email myself or the office and we can set something up. But, but this is... It says here that, that this brings shame. It says that you will have the feel fill of shame and, and what you've done will come around to you and you will feel, feel the shame. And so God says that he sees the shame and he understands the shame and he can reverse the shame as well. Because God also brings healing and wholeness to those who have experienced these types of tragedies. And I've sat across from people, both men and women, who just desperately want to know that God didn't leave them when this stuff has happened to them. They desperately want to know that they are not unclean and that God still loves them. And Jesus, every time, shows up and he tells them, you are still loved and valued and accepted by me. God brings wholeness and healing to these places of tragedy. And that's, that's deep and it's powerful. And now I just have to keep going on to the next woe. And as I was practicing my message, I thought this is going to be an awkward transition no matter what I do. And so I'm just going to tell you the awkward transition. And then we're going to go into the awkward transition. And that's going to take away some awkwardness, okay? Okay, here's my, here's my transition. But Jesus takes away the shame and he takes, brings healing and wholeness because he loves. Because he loves more than anything else can do anything. Uh, let me, right, think about the best hunting animal, right? Whether you think that's a lion or a cheetah or whatever, like God can love better than a lion can hunt. Think about the best voice that you've ever heard singing. God can love better than the best voice on earth can sing. God loves deeply. And one of the books where he talks about love 
consistently is the book of First John. So if you go to 1 John and you wanted to read it, you can read it probably in a half an hour, and it's just talking about love. God loves us here, and God uh, died for us here, and so we have to love others because God loves us, and actually, if we don't love others, then that's a clue that maybe the love of God isn't in us, but don't fear because God loves you. And then it's something that goes along with woe number five. At the very end, there is one verse that John does not talk about this subject anywhere else in his book, doesn't even hint at it anywhere else, and he just says this one line at the end. In 1 John 5, 21, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. If you read it, it's so strange. Love, 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 love. Don't worship idols. See, and here in Habakkuk, the woe is that, look, there's somebody who builds an idol. It's metal. And woe to them who says to a wooden thing, awake, or to a silent stone. Says, right? Look, the physical idol, what Habakkuk is saying is the physical idol is nothing. But here's what the Bible teaches us. That if there's just a physical statue, it's nothing. But when someone sacrifices to an idol or worships an idol, demonic forces are engaged. That's what happened. So so you'll see uh, in other places in scripture that worshiping idols is actually worshiping demons. And the actual idol, uh, if, if we just made some wood and you accidentally carved a wood and it was accidentally some Hindu god, there's nothing wrong like Get rid of it, but it's when you worship it, it's when you sacrifice to it that demonic forces are engaged. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 32. Uh, it's talking about, um, it's talking about uh, when Israel's going into the land, and it says that they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods that they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. So Moses is saying here, look, this is what happens to the people of Israel. They sacrifice to demons. And you'll see it all throughout. Oh, and it says the king, like these kings come in. Like I told you, I was in first Kings, so this is like fresh on my mind. But these kings come in, and they, they, they do away with all of this stuff. And then it says, but they left the Asherah pole in the high places. They never took down the high places, and the Israelites still sacrificed to these other gods up, up on these high places. And so uh, this was the warning. This is the warning that comes with the curse. Shall make yourselves no graven images, for the Lord your God is a jealous God who visits the iniquity of the fathers down to the sons for the fourth generations, but... But he also blesses his steadfast love to a thousand generations to those who obey and fear him. And then Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 20, when he says, uh, he's talking about idols, and he's saying the idols can't speak, they're nothing, but, he says, no, but I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. And this word participants, the root of it in the Greek is the root word koinonia. 
If you've been in church for a long time, koinonia means uh, church, like it's a fellowship. It's, it's talked about gatherings of believers together. And Peter says that we are koinonias, right? That's the verb, the koinonias with the divine nature. And Paul here is saying, don't be in fellowship, in koinonia fellowship with demons by sacrificing to them and by participating with them. Right? So, so when I see this idolatry, when I see this idolatry, I, I, I'm in the minority on this, and a lot of smart people disagree with me. So if you disagree with me, you're in good company. But in the Bible, idol worship is not generally, I really love, I really love, like I told you, I really love basketball. I really love sports. Do you love it more than God sometimes? Well, that's an idol. I don't buy it. In the Bible, idolatry every time is a, a, a graven image. It is a pole. It is a statue. It is a golden calf that people bow down to and worship. And when they physically bow down to worship it, the demonic forces are engaged and come and answer on behalf of the person who is bowing down to it. Okay? So now most of us, and then you say, okay, well, what does this have to do with us? Right? I'll tell you things that I do, okay? And uh, you guys know I'm okay with you thinking I'm weird, right? I'm okay with that. I go into an Airbnb. We, we did this. We were in an Airbnb. Um, of course, it was in Black Mountain. Sorry, guys, but it was in Black Mountain. And, uh, and there was like Buddha statues everywhere, right? So I just walk in. I stand in the middle of it. And I say, you don't mess with me. I don't mess with you, Right? I know, I, know every, I know that you're probably around, but you see who, who, who's in me and who's in the family. Like, you're just going to leave us alone, right? Because I don't know what's done to the, in those idols. And I've, I've mentioned this before, but, but if, if God, if God uh, let me read to you a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 12 really quick. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, he's talking about uh, this exact things. And he says, take care, in Deuteronomy 12, 30, take care, he's talking, he's warning them against idolatry, take care that you not be ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you not inquire about their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods that I may also do the same? Listen, 31, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that Way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. So God is saying, if that is the way that someone worships their God, don't do it. Okay, now are you ready? That's yoga. God says, if they worship their gods in that way, you don't follow it. It's abominable. Yoga is a set of poses where each pose is designed to worship a Hindu god. Okay? And so if we apply this Deuteronomy 12, then we say, if that's how they worship their god, then I'm not going to slap the Christian label on it and do it. I'm not going to say, oh, it's Christian yoga. It's Christian tai chi. 
It's Christian. All of these other things, right? We don't worship God the way that the nations worship their gods. We don't come to him the way the pagans come to their gods. It's abominable. And God doesn't want us to have fellowship with demons. Okay? Those are the, the five woes. And in the five woes, look, uh, in, in the Bible, there is something called chiastic structure. You can look it up if you want to be bored. But here's what it means. Think of it as a triangle. Right? And the chiastic structure, um, it goes, uh, think of it like a poem. It goes, uh, one point A is made, point B is made, point C is the climactic top part of it, and then point B is said again, and point A is said again. Does that make sense? Psalms do, this is in the Psalms all the time, right? Where you think that it's repeating itself, it is, but it's doing it in a structure that says, uh, here's one, two, three is the, is the apex, down, down. And that's what happens in the woes, because in the middle of the third one, there's five of them. As you go up in the middle of the third one, there is a promise, and we're supposed to look at this promise in the middle of it and read and understand that what we've already read has to be read in light of that promise, and then what we're going to read has to be read in light of that promise. And what is the promise? The promise is that for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I used to live 15 minutes from the beach, and I used to go and every time I went to look at the sea, you know what was there? Water. <laughs> Crazy, right? Like, I was shocked sometimes. I got there. I was like, oh, the water's still here. Great. If you go to a, a sea that is good and healthy, there is water in it. And so God says, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord it's going to be everywhere, just like when you go to the sea and you see all the water. It's going to be everywhere, and you have to remember this when you're struggling because this promise is in the middle. It is in the middle of God telling uh, Habakkuk things are going to be really bad for a while, but don't worry, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Because there's a place you can go in California. It's called the Salton Sea. And you go out there, and it's a barren wasteland, just basically covered in puddles of salt water. And, and I've never been there, because why would anybody want to go there? But you go, and it's just bleak, and there's death, and there's, there's been times where there have just been piles and piles and piles of dead fish all around. The Bible says that that, that, that 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 sea will one day be filled with the water that is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And so sometimes our lives feel like this barren wasteland of salt where nothing can grow and we think that our insides smell like fish. Just go with me here, right? We think that our insides smell like fish and, and in the middle of that, God is saying, no, 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 no. Look, the knowledge of the glory of God is gonna fill you like the waters cover the sea because it's going to be everywhere. The whole earth will be filled with his glory. 
that this is the great promise of the Old Testament seen in Jesus, that Jesus then comes and, and he inaugurates this way. He inaugurates the, the open, the vision of how the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to be seen and felt all over. This is the already but the not yet of the kingdom of God. Because already, already the knowledge of the, uh, the, knowledge of the, of the, the glory of God has filled parts of this earth. And it has filled his people. But there is still more to go. So it's already started, but not yet finished. Right? I don't think that Habakkuk is envisioning this, that, that at one point, all of a sudden, he's just going to snap the finger. And then all of a sudden, the earth is filled. That's not how a lake fills. It fills inch by inch, foot by foot as it rains. See, Jesus says that this is the exact same thing. As this is, he makes the exact same promise about the kingdom of God. He put to them another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and stowed in his, sowed in his field. And it's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown larger than all the gar- it is larger than all the garden plants. And it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told to them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. So the, what, what this is saying is that the mustard seed is going to fill and grow till it overwhelms everything else. And the leaven is going to go into the dough until it is everywhere. And that's the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, it will be the knowledge of the glory of God. And then Jesus commissions us that we are the means by which this happens. He says, you go. They worship, some doubt it, but all authority has been given to me, so you go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. So he tells us, you go. You start to spread the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. You take it everywhere. You go everywhere and you baptize people. You make them disciples. You teach them all the things that I've taught you. And you go and do it. And don't worry because I'm going to be with you while you go. Again, then we've been given the Holy Spirit to be empowered to fulfill the mission. He does this for the first apostles and he does it for us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. To the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. So that all, so that the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth. It's all, God already said it's going to happen. He already said it. For the, for, the, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's a promise. He doesn't lie. He doesn't break his promises. So we become people that, that are part of making his word come true. By taking the knowledge of the glory of the Lord with us everywhere we go. Until like a small mustard seed, that church, that kingdom that began with God grows and overwhelms everything. And even if it gets bleak, and it may very well get bleak, there may be times of persecution. There might be times of suffering. We will all experience these types of things in our lives, and the church may experience it 
corporately. But we are still part of the movement that will bring the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul makes his case that, man, everything's going to change and you have a part in making that change. And he will reign until all enemies have been made his footstool. He says at the end of that chapter, he says, therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, that, the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I don't have to be steadfast if things are easy. Have you ever gone on those, those nice little river floats in the inner tubes? I don't have to be aware of anything. You know, if it's not raining outside, the water's probably three feet tall. And if I fall off, it's like, oh, no problem. I don't have to be steadfast in that. But if I'm in a white water raft, or in some class four, class three rapids, I have to be steadfast. Because you go over there and it's a little bit more scary. You go over there and your hair might get wet, all right? I don't have to be immovable if nothing's trying to push me. Or if somebody, or if, like, if a toddler came up to me and tried to push me over, right? Big deal. Stop it. (laughs) When something small comes against me, I don't have to be immovable. That's just who I am. But get somebody big. Get Lloyd here running at me, looking to move me. All right, let's go. Come on. That's when I have to be immovable. Not when there's nothing pushing me. Not when there's something small pushing me. But when something big is coming at me, that's when I have to be immovable. And all while I'm being steadfast and immovable, Paul says, do what God's called you to do against every fiery dart of the enemy, against every fiery dart of a person, against every, every time that you feel uh, broken down, every time that you feel you keep going, always abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because it matters. You matter. It's not in vain. You're not going to do all of this and all of this, all of this work for the Lord, all of this work for the Lord, and get to the end. And he's like, what did you do again? Ah, sorry, don't remember your name. You go with the goats. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Knowing that, the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So you keep fighting for your children. You keep fighting for your grandchildren. You keep fighting for your own spirit. You keep fighting for your own purity. You keep fighting for your neighbors. You keep fighting. You keep going because God will reward you in due time. And his reward is going to be so much better and bigger. Right? The way that, that Paul puts it, he's like, your light momentary affliction is preparing you for a weight of glory that you cannot even begin to fathom. So in comparison to what God is going to give you on that day, what you're going through now, he wants you to keep pushing through. 
And to do that, rest in his promises. Rest in what he has for you. We rest in the promises of God. And so when we read verses that talk about, that talk about this, so when I read the verse, when I read the verse, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. When I'm struggling, when I'm hurting, I could say, God, I'm holding on to that. God, and I'm holding on to 1 Corinthians 15 that says my labor is not in vain. So whatever promise of God to the people of God that you need to hold on to, hold on to it, memorize it, get it into your inner core being of who you are. And rest in those promises. Look, what God does, he, he tells Habakkuk, look, there's going to be a repayment against Babylon. There's going to be a repayment against these people. It's because, look, he's already told them they're going to take you away. He's already, he's already told other prophets, you're going to be in exile. You're going to be in exile over there, but don't worry, because I'm going to bring you back. And then we have the, the verses of scripture that say that when we wander, he goes after us like lost sheep. And that when he finds us, he rejoices with us. So if you're far away from God, if you're in a place where you haven't pursued him, where you have no desire to pursue him, or you have no desire to go after him, rest in the promise that he's waiting for you. Whether you're turning to him for the first time or you're turning him to the 500th time, he's still there waiting for you. And then as you struggle and as you hurt and as you go through these difficulties, rest in the promises that he never leaves you, he never forsakes you. Stand with me. Father, in a, a, a season and a day, days where we, we look to you and we, God, I think these seasons, the season comes with this, this desire and this longing to actually believe. that you're still there and that everything at some point will be okay. That my suffering, that my hurt, that all the things that have weighed on me, 
that fighting through it is not in vain. Here's what I want you to do right now before we sing our closing song. I want you to imagine in your mind's eye your sanctified imagination. I want you to picture a desert. Picture a desert. And I want you to give that desert a name. Its name could be shame. Its name could be anxiety. Its name could be trauma. Its name could be my job. It could be my finances. Give that desert a name. And I want you to remember the promise that the knowledge of the glory of God will fill all of the earth. It will fill every desert. Like the waters cover the sea, so take that desert and imagine waters flooding into it, washing away the sand, washing away the dryness, flooding into it. And as it floods into it, it just takes away that name that you gave it and God renames it. And then I want you now to ask God, God, what are you renaming my desert? saw a desert, look at the sea and see all the water and know that God is there.
resolve in that, strengthen my faith in that. Father, you are so good to us. Lord, place in us a longing for the day when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Fill in us a longing for that day. Lord, and as we as we bring, as we help to bring that about, as we partner with you, Lord, teach us to be steadfast and immovable, knowing that our labor for the Lord is not in vain. In Jesus' name, amen. Just really quick before you leave, we're going to start. I'm going to look at my time right now. It is 11.31. We're going to start the process of eating at 11.51. In 20 minutes exactly, I'm going to pray at 11.51 in the fellowship hall, and then we're going to start eating. So, you have 20 minutes to hang out. If you need to go get your food or you didn't bring food, we have plenty of food. I was in there this morning. People kept bringing up dishes and dishes of food. Come and join us. The fellowship hall directly behind us. We'll see you out there. God bless.